The following program is a presentation of Grand Slam Ministries. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to the Dan Scott Show. It is episode 38. I am Dan. We are presented each and every week by Grand Slam Ministries, airing on our 13 affiliates. Six over the air, seven internet, covering the entire world thanks to the internet. Thank you for tuning in wherever you are. And we just ask as I'm sure every radio show and podcast asks that you continue to share. If you like what we're doing, tell somebody about it, and and let's get these incredible interviews that God keeps dropping into my lap out and get the gospel message out to more and more people. There's so much junk in the world today, and these stories that God is allowing me to tell on this show are so powerful, and it's nothing to do with me. It's, it's the, the work that, that Jesus has done in, in reclamating so many lives, and, and the, these interviews just keep coming one after another after another. Share that. Tell people that in the midst of all of the mess that's out there, hey, we've got some good news for you. You need to listen in spite of the host, Right. Listen to the guys who are talking or the gals who are talking and, and check out what God is doing in their lives. Follow us on all of our social media. Share, like, do all of that stuff and help us out. We've got another great interview for you today. Uh, Neil Matthews uh, hosts his own podcast. In, in fact, I'm going to be a guest on that in November. We've actually already recorded it, but he works ahead. I don't uh, for various and sundry reasons. But um, his podcast is called Other People's Shoes, and we're going to talk about that when we get into this with, with him as well. But Neil has a powerful story of redemption, and it's also a story of a church not just casting someone who stumbles to the side. And you're, you're going to want to hear this when we come back because it, it's, it's good stuff. Neil Matthews is our guest when we return. First, though, I want you to hear something, as always, from Grand Slam Ministries. Teenage boys and young men today are in crisis. Statistics show that a home without a father or male role model present is the single biggest indicator of poverty, behavior issues, drug and alcohol abuse, criminal activity, and, yes, imprisonment. At Grand Slam Ministries, one of our core missions is developing a mentorship program to teach boys how to become strong Christian men and then teach those men to be the biblical husbands, fathers, and church and community leaders the Bible calls us to be. We need your prayers, we need your ideas, and we need your support. Visit our website, grandslamministries.org, to find out more about our mentorship mission and prayerfully consider how you may be able to assist us. Again, that website is GrandSlamMinistries.org. Want to see a listing of our affiliates? Check out videos or listen to past shows and explore our archives? 
It's all available at our website, danscottshow.org. And now, back to the show. This is episode 38 of the cleverly titled Dan Scott Show. And as you know, I named it that so I wouldn't forget the name of the show. Hey, let's jump right into this. I want to thank my buddy Neil Getzlow for putting me on to today's guest, Neil Matthews. We've all now, I think, been guests on each other's shows and podcasts, but uh, that's cool because we all have stories to tell about the amazing saving grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, Neil Matthews has one of those stories, uh, a young man who has battled a pornography addiction and was battling it while he was a youth pastor, and the story of how ultimately he overcame that and how his church did not just kick him to the curb is a powerful example of what real restorative justice looks like, not what we see in society today, but what it looks like inside the framework of Christ's church. I mentioned at the top that Neil has a podcast called Other People's Shoes, which is a very unique name. We started the conversation by talking about how he came up with that name. I wish I could be that cool and that creative to say, oh yeah, you know, spend some time fasting and praying over the name and went through, you know, a laundry list of names before we settled on this. Uh, No, it it wasn't that at all. Uh, My wife actually, the story goes, um, we had a change in leadership at our church. Uh, a, A very dear friend of mine was in youth ministry for a long time and stepped away. And in his stepping away, that kind of left a void for me because I was like, well, he's not there. I don't feel like I need to be there anymore. I've kind of, you know, to, to quote my buddy MJ, I'd, I'd accomplished everything I needed to do. I did everything I wanted to do, and there was really nothing left to accomplish. And so I kind of stepped away in that respect. In that, in that, as I said, it kind of left a void. And so my wife said, you know, you need a verbal outlet. And first off, I had to kind of search the soul and say, what's a verbal outlet? I don't even know what that is. And so... I went uh, went on the search in some respects to find that and then, you know, kind of floundered probably because she noticed that as a good helpmate does. And she says, I think you should start a podcast. And I said, okay, hand up. Um, what's a podcast? And she said, how do you not know what a podcast is? And I said, I, I really don't. And she said, it's like a radio show, but on the internet. And I was like, oh. I used to work in radio advertising. I kind of had a concept of radio and kind of been around DJs or talent, as they're sometimes called. And so I thought, okay, we're going to start this. And I said, well, I don't even know what to call it. I mean, what what do we even, you know, Neil's show, that seems weird to call it by my own name. No no offense, Dan. Um, I I did it so I wouldn't forget the name. But anyway, go ahead. Fair enough. (laughs) And I probably should have done that. But anyway, um, she said, you know, I think this world's kind of missing empathy. Don't you agree? And I said, yeah, I've I've always kind of thought that people need to be more empathetic. People need to be more, you know, in someone else's shoes. And she said, what'd you say? And I said, yeah, I think people need to be in like, you know, what other people's shoes. Isn't that the phrase like that we say? And she said, I, I think you just found your name. 
I mean, I said, I think I did too. And so that's kind of, kind of how that started. So explain to our listeners the concept. What, what do you try to do when, when you step in other people's shoes on your podcast? That's a great question. Yeah, I think we, we do not only metaphorically, but we try to draw in what shoes they're wearing. Um, I don't know why we started this as well. I always say we. It really is just me, but I give my wife a lot of the credit or at least the support element of it. She doesn't like share concept stuff, but she does listen every week and she'll say to me, Hey, that was a great guest. Or, you know, I, why didn't you ask this in this moment? You know, so she does provide that type of feedback. So she's kind of your executive producer. Um, I would say the owner uh, of the, (laughs) I actually fittingly enough, actually used to have an executive producer, but that's another story. Okay. But in that, yeah, I, I think, I don't know why we, we just started from the beginning asking people what type of shoes they wear, what style they wear. I, I think in my mind, radio, as you know, Dan, radio, you have to paint a picture mm-hmm. because audio, you know, I know we're doing video right now, but my show is all audio. And I've purposely done that because I want to, I want them to use their imagination. I want the listener to really have to listen <laughs> which is a skill I think some of us miss these days. Well, just just so you know, my show is all audio as well. It's just when we do right. the when we do oh. the interviews, I like okay. to be able to see who I'm talking to. Fair enough. I wasn't sure. Yeah. Well, that's perfect and that leads right into my point was I think you do a great job with this and I think others that do audio do a great job with this is they paint a picture. They mm-hmm. should be painting a picture at least. And so in my mind when you're painting that picture, you have to kind of set the scene. What does the canvas look like? You know, And so I think that's why we've started with what style of shoes do you wear? What brand is it? You know, because again, visually, we're trying to paint that picture of what shoes were in that day. And again, I think the name lends lends to itself. We're trying to be in their shoes. We're trying to be in their experience. What was it like when they were maybe hurt by a spouse? What was it like when they had that victory in that moment in life? And really try to put ourselves in that place, in that spot. I am a huge fan, Neil, of old-time radio, the, the radio shows that ultimately gave us the early television shows that came along in the 1950s. I listened to radio classics on Sirius XM all the time, and, and the phrase that has always been out there from the 1930s and 40s, and, and even before, when, when radio became a thing is that radio is theater of the mind and, and as you said as a as a play-by-play broadcaster like I am or doing what you do and and we do in radio shows and podcasts or what they were doing on the Jack Benny show or Dragnet back in the in the 40s and 50s you are taking the listener and making them see something in their mind that they can't see with their eyes. And there are reasons, and and I I equate this to a baseball play-by-play thing, thinking about Vin Scully, thinking about Marty Brenneman, who I'm fortunate to be friends with, Hall of Famers. There are reasons that the great ones are the great ones, because they can do that. They can put you in a place, in your mind, even though you may be driving down the road, you may be sitting in your living room or on your back porch, and yet you're there and you can, you can visualize everything that they're telling you. And and that's what, 
That's what radio does. Now, if you can take that and add the spiritual component to it, like you're doing with other people's shoes, then I th- I think it takes it to a whole other level. Yeah, and, and I think, um, you know, Dan Patrick does a great job with that. He's of my generation, I'll say that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I obviously I have a great deal of respect for Vince Scully, even though he was a Dodger announcer, not a big Dodger fan, but but love his his voice in that. And I remember, you know, uh, Adventures in Odyssey. Is that still a thing? I don't know if people still listen to that, but I know my wife's kid brother listened to that a lot uh, growing up. And and I remember those moments of sitting and listening with him. You know, um, I'm of the generation we didn't have the the old time radio where we would all kind of gather around, like almost like in Hoosiers, you know, as they're gathering around to listen to the big game, the championship game with Jimmy Chipwood. Like, I don't remember those moments. But to me, I think there could be a time coming soon where we're back to that kind of era of, and I think that's what podcasting has done. We're kind of back to that era again. At least I hope so. And, and maybe not so much like the old fireside chats with President Roosevelt where people are sitting around the radio box, but whether they're driving down the road or they're working out or whatever they're doing, listening individually to the podcast and and podcasts as we know have become so popular millions and millions and millions of downloads on a daily basis and i'm just glad that that yours is out there to take people on that journey in other people's shoes and do it from a a christian perspective and give that spiritual component to get there obviously you had to walk your own journey in, in your own shoes. And I want to talk a little bit about how you got to where you are now. Tell me what Neil Matthews' life was like growing up. Did you grow up in a Christian household? That's always a, that's always a tough question to answer because I do believe Christ was in our home. Now, here's the key to that. Was he the center? Was he the Lord of the home? I would say no. Um, my mom was very much involved in church life. Um, it seemed like everywhere we went to church, there was a daycare center that she was, you know, maybe starting or a part of or maybe brought about. Um, she felt the need uh, very much growing up that parents needed to work and that there would needed to be a safe place for kids. So she provided that through her avenues and her levels of expertise. So you know, church life, she was kind of always on staff at a church from a daycare uh, director standpoint. Mm-hmm. My dad is a retired Marine. So you can imagine those who know that Marine life, he was there, but he wasn't. He was there, then he wasn't. And, I, and I've always said for years, even when he was home, not on a deployment, I don't believe he, he mentally was there. He's even now in later years admitted that he wasn't. There were a lot of times he wasn't there emotionally for us like he should have been and he's you know kind of had some regrets in that realm Mm -hmm. but that was my growing up life Um, I have an older brother who's two years older who could do no wrong I mean he was an athlete he could have been I think Um, he just was very gifted in that musically um, I I would almost think he could have gone to Juilliard or you know the prestigious schools such as that um, he just was talented when, when, you know, God gave him that musical talent, kind of touched him in that way. Um, he could 
as I said, he could pick up any instrument and play it proficiently within two to three weeks. I mean, he just was tremendously talented in that regard. And then uh, right around my fifth grade year, um, we got some kind of family, I guess you could say trauma or or trauma entered our home more more on a more um, um, not so much covert, but more you know apparent front. Um, my cousins um, had come to live with us. Their dad had sexually abused them, and so they needed a, a place to go that was that was not there, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of debate within the family, like where should they go, where should they go, and and so they finally ended up settling with us down in California in Kent Pendleton. I say down cause I'm in Oregon. Um, and so they, they moved in with us. So our family went from four to then six and then my dad uh, got out of the core and we moved to Oregon. And so that presented its own challenges, like starting all over again and making friends again. And so, you know, I learned uh, early on that the church was a great place to go one to get out of the house, to get away from the family drama of my parents now you know, living life outside of the Marine Corps with my dad home all the time and them having to work on their marriage, which was very um, stressful, I think, for all of us kids. And they would end up separating and then divorcing later. So um, that was their life. But yeah, so growing up, I would say Christ was there, but he was not the center of being there. We're visiting with uh, Neil Matthews, the uh, host of the podcast, Other People's Shoes. Um, I had the, and it's kind of ironic how this works out. Uh, I was a guest on his podcast. We actually recorded it about three weeks ago as, as he and I are doing this, but his episode on this show is going to air probably two months before my episode on his show airs because he is a lot better than I am at working further ahead. I tend to... I like to say I'm a little more immediate in things uh, because of the type of work that I do on a daily basis. It's probably more my lifelong uh, procrastination habit that I have, but uh, that's my story anyway, and I'm sticking to it. Um, the we, we hear a lot of stories about military families and, and or or maybe not even military families, but families that, that had a, a father that had a job that had them on the road. Professional athletes, baseball players, for instance, who, you know, for six months of the year, spring training, if you count that, maybe as many as eight months of the year, they're pretty much gone. And, and then when the career is over, all of a sudden, they have to, try to learn how to be a family because they're 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 no longer a quote-unquote baseball family now they're together pretty much 24 7 and, and and unfortunately there are way too many stories of those marriages breaking up was was that the story with with your military family when when your dad retired from the core and your parents were together that the dynamic was such that that's just not something that they were accustomed to. Yeah, I would say so. Obviously I'm not on the inner inner workings of their relationship, so I can't fully speak to that, right. but I can say from an outside observer, it, it did definitely appear to be that way. Um, I know I've talked to my dad again, recent years. Uh, it's, it's interesting as, as the years go on, what he remembers, um, what he shares, 
Uh, our birthdays are 11 days apart. So annually we would sit together at a lunch or at a cafe of some sort. And, uh, and I would get to ask anything. Nothing was off the table. And so I would ask those kind of deeper, you know, kind of maybe, you know, none of my business questions right. as a child that I, that plagued me, you know, truly. And in that respect, he has shared that of recent years that, uh, that it was just really hard. He felt like he could never do anything right. He felt like everything he did was wrong. And, you know, I said, well, you know, did you try to go to counseling? Did you try to, you know, do these things that, that I guess, quote unquote, normal people would do to try to solve a marriage. And he said, you know, we did, but I'm the villain. I'm the one that, you know, ended up being the bad guy. And he said, it was just easier just to quit. I said, yeah, but as a Marine, I said, that's got to eat at you that you guys don't quit. You're first in last out kind of thing. And, and he said, yeah, he said, um, I just think we got together way too young. And he said, uh, I, I just think we never really got to truly know each other. So I, I think he's even shared again, that the Marine Corps didn't help any, um, from that level of being gone all the time. So I don't know. So how did, and we're going to get to the path that ultimately you ended up on uh, and, and that God saved you from, but how did your family dynamic then start you down what would become that wrong path? Well, again, I, I think growing up when you have a mom at least my perception that, um, you know, loved kids. I think she had a hard time when she'd come home of giving us that same type of love. I mean, it was just empty. I think a lot of times, and I think my dad being gone a lot emotionally took a toll on her little background on my mom. Um, she is at the time of this story, she's six months old. So she's, she's not even a year old and her father took his life, um, in a motel room, just, just killed himself. And so she grew up hearing from siblings, family members, you know, cousins, you know, extended family, who, who, whoever, basically that it's her fault that her dad took his life. And that it was, if she would never been born, he never would have taken his life. So I found that out probably, I don't know, about four or five years ago that my mom had been carrying this burden basically around with her forever that she wasn't good enough. She wasn't pretty enough. She wasn't this enough. You know, she wasn't enough. And ironically, she ended up coming on my show because we were in a series called you're not enough. Maybe I had my mom in mind when, when we were making it, but she did come on and share her story. So I know my mom dealt with that trauma. And again, we've already kind of talked about my dad's trauma. You know, he served not only in Vietnam, but he served in Desert Storm, post-Desert Storm as their kind of part of the cleanup party. Uh, he was a minesweeper in uh, Guantanamo Bay or Gitmo for those military folks. So, I mean, he saw his fair share of trauma. And then growing up, you know, his his growing up life was, was not the per perfect life. Um, his dad was very physical, um, very physically abusive, very mentally abusive. Um, my granny, who I, I absolutely love, that's my grandmother, um, you know, she divorced my grandfather because he was so physically abusive to her. And so there's a lot of trauma, obviously, that my parents kind of got. And I think how that translates into me is they brought that trauma into our life. You know, again, going back to my brother, um, I just actually walked through a counseling session um, for for almost a year, actually, 
um, dealing with a lot of the childhood trauma that I dealt with. Again, my brother was was elevated, was amplified, was put on a pedestal. He could do no wrong. And then when my cousins came to live with us, as I said, uh, already around the fifth grade year, you know, that added to me being not seen, not heard, not, you know, being the youngest already. Well, now I'm the youngest of three, not, you know, well, four, counting myself. But, you know, I think it led to a lot of, a lot of hurt, a lot of malformation in some respects emotionally. And so from that standpoint, I think I I started to look for outlets and avenues that would kind of squelch that pain or kind of make me feel better in the pain. What were some of those outlets? Well, I'd love to say it was drugs because I always feel like drugs is easier to talk about. It seems like everyone has a drug story, but it wasn't. Sadly, it was pornography. Mm -hmm. So um, I discovered pornography probably around eighth grade, um, actually through my brother. Um, He had a stash, if you will, um, a VHS tape of all things, um, and just started watching it and started, you know, acting out in that regard when when you do such things as as some have shared i'm sure um but i think that was what i started to to numb the pain with and then what what started there and then when i got into high school you know i i ended up dating a girl that is not my wife and you know having premarital sex with her while i was leading a bible study with with some peers so kind of a double life and learning to have that double life i think early on that everything's okay on the outside, but emotionally, you know, I'm a wreck on the inside. Mm-hmm. And I think that led to, to just a lot of, um, abuse in that Avenue in that arena, as far as that goes. And, and even taking it into my marriage with my current wife, my now wife of 22 years and, and us walking that journey together. And then, uh, fast forwarding, you know, I, I kind of put it aside and kind of get some victory and some, some, uh, some clarity on that and, number of years fine um as far as that goes i I call it beating down the dragon or killing the dragon well the dragon seemed to never die seemed to kind of raise up again and um you know uh around 90 no sorry around 2007 um i had actually gotten hired as as a associate pastor at a church locally and in that um found it again, found the dragon, found the pornography again and, and acted out again. And then my wife discovered it. And then the whole firestorm of, of leaving the church and leaving ministry and leaving the church eventually. And so, yeah, it's kind of a snapshot rundown version of it. Yes. Yeah, so, so this is, this is not, I want to be careful with this because ha- having battled the pornography addiction myself, there, there's not a quote unquote run of the mill pornography addiction story, but this is not your run of the mill pornography addiction story. I mean, we're, we're talking about the dirty little secret. I think that nobody wants to, to really address. And that is that pornography is such a, a powerful uh, enemy or a tool that Satan likes to use that it, I, I think I, I remember statistics that it, it could affect as many as, as one out of every three men in the church today. And if that's the case, you were one of those three men and one who was in a, a position of leadership. I think that was the hardest part, uh, Dan, is 
is when it all kind of comes out. Because I believe everything comes to light eventually. It just takes time. I think that was one of the hardest parts for me is, you know, one, having to admit it to to my wife was one thing. Mm-hmm. That was actually a pretty big thing. That, hey, I need help. Like, finally getting to that point of saying, no, I need help. Like, I've been trying to kind of squash this. I've been trying to beat this. I've been trying to, you know, do it on my own. Did, which, did she have any idea before all of this? I, I think she did, but I think she thought it was done. You know, okay. and I think that's the part that I was really good at is that she thought it was done. Right. Um, and, you know, it, it probably was in some levels, but not on others. Um, you know, there would be good moments and then a month of, of or a month of great moments and then maybe a one day of bad moments, mm-hmm. you know. But um, but when she, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of paint this picture for you going back to that. So the night um, she found it, my daughter was was really young at the time. I think she was maybe six, seven months old, not not very old. And uh, she went into the room that I'm actually sitting in right now to check our PC computer. I mean, that's how long ago this was. And so um, I had not done a great job clearing the internet history. And so that's what she had discovered. And she was on the phone with her mom because her mom's not tech savvy in any way. So she's looking something up on the internet for her mom and she says, Mom, I can hear her in the other room because I'm probably watching a game or who knows what. And uh, I hear her in the other room, and, and she said, Mom, I need to call you back. And so she calls me into the room, and she says, Hey, what is this? And she kind of you know points and shows the internet history. And I was like, Yeah, I, you know, I messed up. I'm really sorry. And she didn't say anything else. She kind of just grabs my daughter with a towel around her and goes into my daughter's room and leaves, like gets her stuff together and leaves. And I'm thinking to myself, Okay, that's it. <laughs> that's it. That's all. She's she's gone. She's not coming back. And I remember going to sleep that night actually thinking to myself, you know, and even praying, you know, God, if this is the moment you take me, I'm okay. And thinking, you know, I'm not going to wake up tomorrow because he's, he's going to take me. He's going to come take my life because I don't feel like living. Now, I'm not going to do it myself because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not that, uh, I guess I'm not that bold in that moment. But I was, I was pretty dark. It was a pretty dark moment that, that night. And in that respect, um, you know, of course, the morning comes. I'm still here. My wife comes home with my daughter, and I said, what are we going to do? And she said, I don't know, but you need to get help. And she said, you need to go tell Lee. He's our senior pastor, Pastor Lee. And she said, you need to go tell him. I said, I will. And I said, you know, if you want to go, you can go. You can leave. I, I would totally understand. And she said, if I wanted to leave, I would have left already. So, you know, from that standpoint, I'm always grateful that she did give me another chance and she did, you know, forgive me in some respects, maybe not right away, but it did take time. Um, but you know, that's the thing I would challenge guys on is, is there's, there's guys out there that tell me it's okay. Porn's okay. It's not hurting me. It's not hurting my marriage. It's not hurting my family. It's not hurting me. I would push on that and ask themselves, is it really though? Is it really? Or are you still believing that lie? Well, there are two people who are sitting right here having this conversation right now who know different from firsthand experience, who know the 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 hurt, the trauma, the pain that it, it causes your family. It's caused caused our wives. It, it's caused ourselves. Uh, it, it's it's not okay in any way, shape, or form. Um, and as as you well know, that when you start down that road there's really no going back and what i mean by that is it's not 
it's not like a recreational drug that you can just do occasionally. It, it's something that when it becomes an addiction, you've got to have more and it's got to be harder and it's got to be worse and worse and worse. And it's not, it's not something that, that you can do because I had the same, the same experience you did, Neil. I, I would have those moments where I would stumble or, or just flat out fail. And I would be so disgusted with myself and I would swear I'm never doing this again. And I would have a season of success. I could stay away from it for a week, a month, two months, maybe even six months. And, and then, you know, Satan will hit you at a low moment. You'll be tired. You'll be angry. You'll be alone. And your mind will start to wander, and next thing you know, you're on the phone, you're on the computer, whatever, and and there you go again. And there's just there's there's no victory from it apart from a victory in Christ. And we're talking with with Neil Matthews. I want to go back uh, just for a moment because you talked about being uh, a, a what a youth pastor. When, when this happened, when did you give your life to Christ? And, and looking back at it now, what was the initial time that you did that? Was it real? And 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 this was in, in the Baptist world. We like to use the word backsliding, or was going through all this. And coming through this victory, was this when you really fully committed your life to Christ? That's a great question, too, Dan. Um, so I grew up Southern Baptist, believe it or not. I actually gave my life to to Christ, or at least I thought I did, in a Southern Baptist church, uh, Carlsbad, Southern Baptist Church, First Baptist Church of Carlsbad, which I don't even believe is in existence anymore. Mm-hmm. I went there, gosh, 10 years ago, maybe longer. Oh, probably about 16 years ago now. Anyway, I went down there. Uh, we were in the area my wife and I were in. And so we went to Carlsbad to see this church that I had, you know, walked the aisle, Awana kid. And I wanted to see it. And I think it was like Pacific Aztec Bible or I don't know. It had some different name. And so anyway, uh, it just made me laugh about that, that time has changed so much and churches have changed names. Anyway, so I would say at that moment, I thought it was real. Uh, definitely nine years old. Now, some people would say nine years old, you don't know what you're doing. Um, well, I did. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I had done wrong things. And I think I had reached the age of accountability in some theological circles. So there you are. Um, but I knew, I knew I needed something different because I was such a bad kid growing up. And I was told that repeatedly, like, you're going to hell because you're so mean to your mom and dad. You're so mean to your friends. And you have all this anger and, and God can take your anger. So I'm like, well, I'm going to walk the aisle. I'm going to give him all my anger. Well, lo and behold, he didn't necessarily take it in that moment. I wish he had, you know, like a toy, you know, that, that maybe I was being punished and I needed my toy taken away to kind of maybe rethink some things. But sadly, he didn't take the anger right in that moment. So I would say at nine, I, I really, I think I did it just for fire insurance. If you follow me on that. Yes. Um, but I think I really 
really surrendered and really started following when I was probably around 15 or 16. I was actually at a youth camp and uh, I was dating the girl that I had, had mentioned, uh, you know, that I was having premarital sex with. And in that moment, uh, the speaker actually got all the guys together. And there's about 40, 50 guys in this room. And I've told this story a couple of times, actually, in youth settings. And the speaker starts to kind of break down uh, a relationship. He says, how many of you have held a girl's hand? You know, everyone raises their hand, all the guys. How many of you have kissed a girl? How many of you have hugged a girl? And he kind of starts going through this, like, you know, kind of matriculation of, of what you've done with a girl. And he gets all the way to sex. How many of you have had sex with a girl? No one raises their hand. No one. And he says, let me tell you something, boys, right now. He said, how many of you, if you, if you've done this, if you've done this act, most likely statistically speaking, you've probably done this with someone else's wife. And I thought, man, that set in. I actually went home from camp, broke up with a girl and kind of said, okay, God, here I am. Here's my new life. I'm going to stop doing all this other stuff that doesn't honor you, that doesn't respect you. And I'm going to get victory and I'm going to give you all of my stuff and you're going to make me better. I just know you are. And I think in that moment, it was the finally the first time I really saw Jesus not only as Lord, but Savior as well. Mm-hmm. And, and yet there were still those attacks that would come later. So coming back to where we were with your wife finding what you were doing and agreeing to stay and fight how did you gain final victory well i think people want to just throw rocks at counselors or professionals that that do that type of you know career path or whatever but i found a great counselor truly that we walked that journey together for almost a year and a half And uh, in that process, I stayed active in my church, even though it was really difficult. The church that had just basically asked for my resignation, I stayed faithful in that church. And it was extremely hard walking that journey, you know, knowing that I was not only not on staff anymore, but I wasn't in youth anymore. I mean, all these things that, that I had built this kind of kingdom around. And that's the thing I would say to this, Dan, is I firmly believe this now in hindsight, that... I worshiped and idolized the position that I was in. I worshiped that title. I worshiped the office. I worshiped the position. I worshiped all these things, Mm -hmm. not Christ, not the Lord. And I think in that, God says quite often in Scripture, I'm a jealous God. Right. Jealous God. I don't want anything before me. I will not have anything before me. And I really truly believe this, again, in hindsight, that because I worship so much, again, the position, the role, the name, my name on the door, my own office, you know, all these things, I think he found a way to take it from me, to get my attention back on him. Hmm. Again, I don't think he said, Neil, go look at porn. I don't think God said that in any way, no. But I think he can take our struggle. I think he can take our challenges and he can say, okay, now that you have nothing, Job, what are you going to do? And I think he did that. Pride, so in that. Pride is a is the, the one thing God hates, I think, more than anything else. 
uh, other than the total rejection of Christ. But you you you, you read your Bible close enough, uh, closely enough, um, pride comes up an awful lot. Yeah, and I think that's what it was again because I was so I was so important, you know. I was finally somebody, and you know I think that that leads into a lot of the childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, is is that I I wasn't anybody. I wasn't anybody important. I wasn't anybody that you know anybody really cared about. At least that's what I felt like. Um, and our feelings aren't facts, and they can always give wrong directions. So, but I think in that, I think God used that that traumatic event to really kind of reshape me. So anyway, we go through this journey, this restoration. I go through counseling. Um, I have some really good friends around me. Obviously I have my wife around me and, uh, I went, I went and read this book, uh, by pure desire ministries. Um, and uh, a guy named Ted Roberts and, and, uh, he's a former, uh, Navy aviator. So top gun, if you will. Mm-hmm quite as cool as Maverick, but probably even better. Um, but in that, you know, he, he writes this uh, amazing book and, and I read it cover to cover. I've, I've since handed it off to other guys. And in that process, I, I felt like I really got free from it and really walked away from it. Now I will tell you just as a guy, it's a struggle every day. It's a choice every day to say, am I going to keep my eyes where they should be focused on Christ? focused on my wife, focused on, you know, my relationship with her, or is it going to stray away? And I think that's the challenge every day is to say, okay, I'm going to be better than I was yesterday. Try working on a college campus. Oh, I can't even imagine. Yeah, I mean, seriously, or, or you know, doing uh, a college basketball broadcast sitting on the floor, you know, what happens during timeouts. Cheerleaders and dance teams right, right there in front of you. So I spend a lot of time, you know, head down, Looking at my scorecard and 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 doing other things, I, you know, I was going to ask you to that to that end, um, because you know you we we want to say, well, Christ delivered me from it. I'm free. I don't have to worry about it anymore. But Satan attacks. Satan attacks. Satan attacks. What kind of safeguards have you put up in your life in, in the subsequent years? Well, again, I I think being involved in a community, I think is is one of the key key elements. I think having full transparency as well. You know, my wife has full access to the computer that I'm on currently. Mm-hmm. She has, she has access to my phone. She knows my passwords, you know, and, and not being afraid to talk about it. I think for years I was so afraid to share my story. I was so afraid to talk about what happened, you know, because people meet me and they're like, man, Neil, you're this really great guy. I really love your heart. I really love this. And I'm like, yeah, but if you knew this about me, you probably wouldn't love me as much. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, you know, not allowing the past to have power over me any longer has been a great victory and a great safeguard. Um, but again, that community, being around brothers, being around other Christ men who can hold that line, who can come up and ask the hard questions. Again, nothing against my wife. My wife is not there to hold me accountable She's not, in my opinion. Um, Now, she plays a part in it, but that's not her whole job. I have guys in my life that can come in and ask those questions, those hard questions. That you know, I have a good friend that has said for years, hey, if you fall, you get 24 hours to tell her or I'm telling her. You know, I mean, it's those type of guys in your life that kind of keep you on that straight and narrow that when you want to get tempted or when you want to get carried away, 
you know, they're there to really kind of rein you back in. I was going to add this. You know, there is a part in Scripture where, where Jesus is tempted. It says he's led by the Spirit out in the wilderness, and Satan tempts him in all sort of certain ways. And, you know, we all know that story maybe for for Bible friends. But there's a part in there that I think sometimes we miss as believers, and that's the part where it says, and Satan left him for a more opportune time. And then we fast forward, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Who shows up? Satan. When Jesus is at his lowest, he's sweating blood. He knows he's going to the cross. He knows everything that's going to happen. And Satan shows up for that more opportune time. He's not going to come, Satan at least, or as I like to call him, the devil, because that's what he is. He might be blue. Who knows? Nobody likes the blue devil. Hopefully not. But (laughs) Satan shows up. And, you you and had to throw not, that in there, didn't you? He, he's a he's a North just, Carolina fan. That, that's I just have to. I'm just you know it seemed to fit in the story. <laughs> <laughs> but you know he shows up, and he's not going to show up with fanfare and you know all this luster and you know Aladdin you know with his menagerie of all this stuff. No, he's going to show up when you're at your weakest moment, and that's when you need to be able to pick up the phone and call that friend, mm-hmm. call that whoever you know. Absolutely. So the the thing I love, and, and we've got about two or three minutes here and we need to to get into wrap-up mode but the thing i love among many things i love about your story is is that when you went to your pastor confessed what was happening and resigned your position as you should have that your church didn't say we're done with you get out that they stayed you stayed there they they wanted you to stay there. They loved on you. They walked you. And I'm sure there were some people who cast an eye toward you and said, what's he still doing here? But what I'm hearing is that for the most part, your church loved on you and helped you walk through this situation. And that's what a church is supposed to do because we, we all have moments where we stumble. It may not be as dramatic as something like this, but John tells us in first John that if we're faithful or if we will confess our sins, that God is faithful to forgive us of those sins. And and you took that step. And I just love the fact that it sounds like anyway, for the most part, your church loved on you and walked alongside you through this process. Yeah, initially it was a little different. Um, so I basically lost my position on a Saturday. Carolina played Louisville that day, by the way. Um, and so that was the only bright spot is North Carolina won that night. Um, that was about the only excitement in my house because I, I drive to the church, which is about 30 minutes from where I am now, and uh, and resigned. And so that's a Saturday night. We all know how the calendar works. Sunday's the next day. They actually asked me not to come to church that first Sunday. And for a lot of years, that messed with me. And I've had a lot of people throw rocks at that ministry. Like, how could they ask you not to come to church the next day? Like, you needed to be in church. And so from that standpoint, like, I still don't know the why there. I It's kind of, if I really, like, let it mess with me, it can. Um, but the big thing I would say is, is yes, Dan, it, it took a lot of years. And I when I say a lot of years, I mean, this is, what, 07, 08, somewhere in that time frame. We're 2023. Mm-hmm. It's been a lot of years for me to say they acted correctly. They removed me. They should have removed me. I mean, there were years that I didn't think that. There were years I thought, you know what? They were wrong. They should have, you know, given me my job back. They should have done this. I was shouldn't all over the place in that church. Let me just say that. And I think in that respect, after, again, pulling back, zooming out, you realize that the church really was there 
And uh, the, the pastor and I actually have a great episode where we walk the restoration walk on the show together. He gets to share his heart of where they came from. I get to share my heart of where I was at. And uh, and at the time, I think even still now, it's in our top 10 as far as most downloaded shows we've ever had on the podcast. So. That, that, that's fantastic. I, I just, I love that because it, it, it's it's not going to be something that's easy. I mean, and you're talking to a guy here who my own father had to remove me from the church roles at at uh, our home church back in West Virginia because of of my behavior years ago. It's not easy, but I have since gone back uh, twice in the last three years and spoken at my dad's church. So uh, it, it's a um, it, it's just a great example of church discipline, which is clearly laid out in scripture, but also the love that the church is still supposed to show those who they discipline. And, and I, I think it's a, a phenomenal example, as hard as it may have been. And as many questions as it may have raised, I love the fact that you're still in the same church and the fact that you and the pastor could have that conversation on your podcast was amazing. Tell people how they can find the podcast, who are some of the upcoming guests. I, I, I want people to come and really dive into to what you're doing on a weekly basis. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, Dan, I want to say thank you for, for having me today. Really, again, appreciate that. So yeah, so easiest way to find the podcast is opspodcast.com. That's kind of home base. Uh, all of our social medias are there. You can connect with me there. Uh, there's a voicemail tab there. You can leave a voicemail or you can use the, the normal connections page there. As far as upcoming guests, boy, it's hard to say. Uh, I don't want to tip my hand too much to that. I try not to, but I will say uh, my show is a little different than than other shows that maybe you've listened to or maybe been a part of. Uh, my show goes in seasons. So um, we're currently in our season 15 right now, which we are calling Your Only. And it's this idea coming actually out of Scripture where David is going to fight Goliath. We all know that story if we're Christ followers or maybe even if we don't. We It's a pretty famous story. But there's a line in there where King Saul says to David, you can't go fight Goliath. You're only a boy. And so we kind of center around that phrasing, you're only. And how does that affect someone's life? How has that affected mm -hmm. someone's life? Is is that been a limited belief maybe? Or maybe somebody put a label on them and they've only thought that they can ever be this. And so we're really kind of diving into that this season. Um, really excited about where the show's going. And uh, the show's going to turn five years old in January. So we're really excited about that. And we already know where we're heading there too. So good stuff happening there. Thanks again to Neil Matthews for uh, being open and vulnerable and sharing his story with us. If you'd like to check out other people's shoes, you can just search that anywhere you get your podcast and on social media, primarily Instagram. It's OPS Podcast Show. That is his user handle. We'll be back with a quick wrap on this 38th edition of the Dan Scott Show in just a moment. Every day, there are children who leave school on Friday and eat little, and sometimes nothing, until they come back to school on Monday. It happens in every community, including yours. Many of these children live in circumstances that deprive them of basic needs necessary for a quality life. At Grand Slam Ministries, we want to change that. We want to invest in our children, giving them hope for the future. That investment includes necessities such as food, clothing, school supplies, and a safe environment to play. 
to study, to live. Please visit our website, GrandSlamMinistries.org, to find out more about our ministry and how you can help. We're just getting started. Will you come alongside us for the children's sake? Again, that's GrandSlamMinistries.org. Follow us on social media. Search Grand Slam Ministries on Facebook and Grand Slam for God on Twitter. And don't forget Dan's personal and public figure sites on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You're listening to The Dan Scott Show, presented by Grand Slam Ministries. We have just a very short amount of time left before we have to get out of here on this week's edition of the Dan Scott Show. Again, thanks to Neil Matthews, that podcast one more time, Other People's Shoes. Search it wherever you get your podcasts and on social media, OPS Podcast Show. Hey, we have some uh, pretty big stuff on the horizon. In fact, uh, as I'm actually recording this show and the way this works, I normally record on Thursday, send it to our affiliates to air on Sunday. I have a meeting today. So by the time you hear this, this meeting will have already taken place. But it it is a meeting that could have a a bearing on uh, the future direction of this radio show. And that's a good thing. So uh, just keep us in your prayers moving forward, and uh, we'll keep you updated as events warrant. But it's been a um, another great Sunday getting together with you. We look forward to being back with you again next week, working on some wonderful guests, and I hope that you have a great week moving forward. We'll be back one week from today. If you missed anything, Check out the podcast archives, Dan Scott Show, wherever you get your podcasts, or at the danscottshow.org site, affiliates and archives page. We will see you again next week. God bless you, and so long, everybody. <laughs>